Our uh, scripture today is from John 12, uh, starting with verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And should I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now this is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears to your word. Lord, write it on our hearts and help us to live in response to what you speak to us today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, This last week was St. Patrick's Day on Tuesday, and I celebrated in the way that most people celebrate St. Patrick's Day. I wore green, I wore my green flannel shirt, and that was the extent of my celebration of St. Patrick's Day. Now, if you go, if you live in Chicago or Boston or even in Jackson at the Mal's St. Patty's Day Parade, you might have been able to have a bigger uh, St. Patrick's Day celebration because, of course, What we do to honor this person treasured in the memory of the church is to throw a big party and people can sometimes use St. Patrick's Day to go to a couple of of, of extremes, though I myself, I do want to finally make the Mount St. Patty's Day Parade one of these years in Jackson. But we take this this holiday and we blow it up into a big, you know, secular uh, festival and we forget the man behind it. But Patrick himself is a fascinating character, fascinating man. Uh, When he was 16, he was captured by Irish pirates and was taken uh, as a slave to Ireland. And there for the next six years, he was put to work as a shepherd, as a slave shepherd in Ireland. Well, six years in, he's 22 now, and he decides that um, he has to get back home. And so he escapes under cover of darkness, finds a uh, boat, convinces the captain to take him back to Britain and goes back home and after a long, hard journey is able to rejoin his family. Patrick's been there about a couple of years and he, uh, he gets this vision. And in this dream, he gets a message that he needs to go back to Ireland, to go back to the people who had enslaved him and to bring the word of God to those people. So Patrick, who had been a slave himself, now becomes a slave to God. 
and at great risk to himself, gives up his connection to his family, gives up the place that he loved and had longed for while he was a slave to go back to the place where he had been a slave. And he is one of the first, what they call apostles of Ireland, one of the first people to go back and to begin to spread the good news of Jesus all over that island. So Patrick goes back to, uh, Patrick goes back to Ireland and in the, this is, he lived in the 500s. And in the, the year, the couple of centuries after Patrick, all over Ireland, started by him and by others, these monasteries crop up. And what they would do in the monasteries is to work in the fields by day, and by night they would copy down copies of the Bible and other Christian literature and even ancient pagan literature, Aristotle and Plato and so forth. And so they would work making these books by hand copying every single word in the monasteries. When the Dark Ages come, the Middle Ages come, and civilization in Europe collapses, people are having a harder and harder time getting access to the scriptures and to uh, other ancient learning. And these monks that were living in response to the good news of Jesus brought by Patrick to Ireland start to go out to the rest of Europe and they bring the Bible back to people who didn't have it. And they bring... Aristotle and Plato back as well. They bring other ancient Christian writing back and they bring civilization and Christianity back to a place that had, was at risk of losing it. So without Patrick being willing to become nothing, to become a, a slave of God, just like he'd been a slave of man before, and go back to people that could have killed him or could have thrown him into slavery again, we very well may not know a Christian Europe, we very well may not be Christians ourselves in this place. And it's because he was willing, it's because he was willing to become nothing that God could be glorified in his life and that God could be glorified all over the world. And we don't really understand glory um, in our culture, and we're not alone in that. And if we go to the passage in John that's for us today, uh, what we discover is Jesus' idea of glory, what he understands that to mean, is very different from what we often see as glory. And what John tells us in the gospel here is what it means for us to live in response to Jesus' glory. Jesus' glory revealed through the cross. As we join John, we meet some Greeks. Some Greeks come to Jesus in verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They said to Philip, who is from Bethsaida in Galilee, uh, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip uh, went and told Jesus. Curious characters, these Greeks. No doubt they've heard about Jesus uh, and his great teaching and his miraculous signs, and they want to see for, for themselves. We're told that they're there to worship at the time of the, of the festival, the Passover, so it seems like these are probably Greeks who uh, worship the Jewish God, but themselves haven't become Jews. And there were, there were people like that in the, in the ancient world. And so they, they honored and worshiped even Israel's God, but they hadn't gone through the process that it would take to actually become a part of the people of Israel. Sometimes we call these folks God-fearers. And they're there, and they hear about Jesus, and they want to find out what he's all about. And so they go and ask to see Jesus. 
asked to see Jesus. Well, what, what difference does it make that it's these guys and not any other Jewish person who was walking around Jerusalem that day? Well, it matters that they're Greeks because if we go back to the beginning of John's gospel, what we remember is that the presence of Jesus in the world is so that the whole world might receive the light of God. John puts it this way. In the beginning was the Word. That's a way of talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the light was the light of all people. Or your translation might say the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus, John tells us, is the light of all people. The light of all people. Jews, yes, but also Greeks and Romans and Americans and people from Uganda and people from China. The, the light is there. Jesus has come for everyone. There's no one who is beyond his reach. Jesus is there for us all. And if we claim the name of Christian in this place, thousands and thousands of miles removed from where Jesus lived and walked, it's because Jesus has come for all people. John 3.16 tells us that as well. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Through Jesus, everyone has access to his grace, to his glory. It's important that it's Greeks who show up to ask Jesus this question. You see, the New Testament was written in, in Greek. And the reason that it's written in Greek is that Greek was in the Eastern Roman Empire. The language that people used for commerce and trade and anytime you wanted somebody else from a foreign culture and you want to understand what you're saying and you wanted to make a connection, you use that as your common language. It's much the same way that English is today. You can go all over the world and find somebody who can speak English. So if, you know, a Chinese person and a Spanish person are uh, in you know, Sweden, if they're going to talk with each other, there's a good chance that they're going to use English to communicate. It's what's called the lingua franca. Greek was like that at the time. And so the people who are reading this a couple of hundred years, you know, probably not even a couple of hundred years, hundred years or so after Jesus, are reading this language in Greek, and Greeks show up in the story, and they're like, we speak Greek. It's a way of saying that Jesus has, you've entered into this story. You are in the presence of Jesus as you read this. Jesus is there for everybody so that everyone might find a way to see him, to see him. And notice it's that that the Greeks ask. They ask to see Jesus. Now think back to John 1, all right? The light has come into the world. The light has come. Their eyes now can be opened to the light. When they ask to see Jesus, they're not asking just to meet him. They're not asking just to see him in physical terms. Whether or not they fully realize the import of their words, what John wants us to pick up is that when you see Jesus, it's a transforming experience. You see Jesus, it's a transforming experience. And we can talk about um, this Harry Stone in our Bible study on Wednesday night. He kind of gave this example. It's one thing to say that, you know, you see your boss in the hallway. It's another thing to meet with the boss. No big deal. There are meetings all the time in in our work. But when you get called in to see the boss, 
That's an altogether different sort of thing. Your eyes are going to be opened to things that you have not been doing right. God is going to help you, uh, or the boss is going to help you see things in a new way as you come to see him. That was my job for a little while in the Air Force. I was a section commander and a maintenance squadron. And we had a bunch of 18 and 19 and 20 year olds who went crazy the first time away from mama. And they'd get in trouble and they would have to come see the first sergeant or have to come see me, the section commander. And we were like the, you know, the assistant principal. You, know, you knew that you were in trouble when you went so far that you had to go and see one of those people. To see is to have an experience that's supposed to make you different on the other end of it in John's gospel. The light has come. It's time to open your eyes and see it. There's another connection too. Uh, Philip and Andrew are the ones that the Greeks go to and say, can we see Jesus? And that's the same language of discipleship that is used when the first disciples and Philip and Andrew are among them, have encountered Jesus and they go tell each other, come and see, come and see. It's the kind of seeing that's supposed to make a difference in your life. In fact, the kind of seeing that can utterly transform your life. And what this asks of us is what it means for us to see Jesus today. It's easy to see about Jesus. It's easy to just sort of read the Bible and we kind of encounter him there and we leave it. It's easy to see pictures of Jesus and Jesus kind of floats around in our culture and you have these little contexts, but that doesn't mean it's made a difference in your life. The question for us is, if we say that we're Christians, if we say that we have seen Jesus, what difference does it make when we go home and eat lunch today? What difference does it make in our lives when we get up and we go to work on Monday? What difference does it make in the relationships that I have with my family? Have you really seen him? Does it make any difference that you call yourself a Christian? That's part of the test here. That's part of the test. Have you really seen him? Jesus goes on to tell us a little bit of what this kind of transforming experience this kind of seeing Jesus might look like. Verse 23, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me the Father will honor. Tough words for our culture to hear. That to see Jesus means that you have to give up thinking that you're in charge of your own life and thinking that you can organize and engineer and orchestrate it like you want. Hard words for our culture to hear. We celebrate celebrity. We celebrate success. Uh, we don't honor those that serve. We honor the folks who have servants and entourages. Um, sometimes we honor people who are famous just for being famous. And blessedly, some of you won't know who I'm talking about, but the fact that any of us might know the name Kim Kardashian tells us that sometimes we celebrate people who are, just, who are famous for being famous. Who are famous for being famous. And we put our stock in that kind of success, whatever that might look like. And you know, these are hard words for me to hear too. Not just everybody on our culture. I think it's hard words... Uh, it's hard words for me in particular. I have a competitive streak. I, uh, you know, in school, I always wanted to get the best grades. Um, I, you know, I wanted to, to do the best and get recognition. Um, and, and that, you know, happened in some ways. 
but last, not this last fall, but the fall before, I had this change, this experience that I had that helped me see things in a new way. You know, I'd been, all, I'd been in school, and then I was in the Air Force for a number of years, and then I went back to seminary, and all of that, you know, you can get good grades, you can get a good evaluation from your commander, go back to seminary, you're trying, I'm trying to do a, uh, I'm trying to do a good job and, and, and earn recognition, that kind of thing. And I might not have articulated that way, but there was a part of me that that's what I was doing. And I had something to do that I could say I was successful at or I failed at. And it was very clear-cut, and I liked that. Well, when we come back to Mississippi, uh, and Jessica has to be in Jackson for her uh, job at University Medical Center for the first um, you know, six months or so that we're here, suddenly I find myself for the first time in my whole life without something to do. I didn't have school. I didn't have a job. Uh, and I was waiting. I was just waiting to get into the system and get appointed to, to go pastor a church somewhere. And that was very hard on me because I'm used to not waiting. I'm used to doing. And I think that the things that, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking the things that I do put, give me value. And then I find I'm just waiting and I can't do anything. All I can do is wait. And what I learned in that fall, which was a very hard time for me, was that my value doesn't come from the things that I can do and achieve. Value comes because of trust in Christ. My value comes because of what he's done on my behalf and not anything that I can earn myself. So it was a time of learning, a time of growing for me in the middle of that um, waiting and woundedness in a way. Jesus says that a grain has to fall into the earth and die if it's going to get life. Um, to become vulnerable, to become wounded, just like Jesus himself has become a human being and will go on to be wounded on the cross. He knows everything that we might go through, any kind of suffering and pain that we can experience. He's experienced suffering and pain too. Jesus, as God become flesh, God becomes vulnerable. That's the word for it. Vulnerable means that you're capable of being wounded. Jesus can be wounded. And we'll see that on the cross. There's this talk by a uh, social work professor named Brene Brown uh, called The Power of Vulnerability. And what Brown identifies is that it is the people who are willing to get hurt, who are willing to have risky relationships, who are willing um, to admit their failures, people who are willing to admit their depression, people who are willing to admit that they're going through a hard time, who actually are the ones who find happiness and success. And it's only through being vulnerable that we can actually um, enjoy the kind of life that God would have us to have. But when we turn in on ourselves, when we build up sort of emotional walls and we shut down relationships and we guard against pain and we choose safe paths and certainty, we distance ourselves from what actually makes us happy. But it's in admitting pain, admitting shame, admitting uh, depression and sadness that we actually find love and acceptance and happiness. Uh, for the Christian, uh, we understand this uh, kind of vulnerability when John the Baptist says about Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. It's about trusting Christ to be more than we can be for ourselves. Trusting Christ that we can risk the recon reconciliation with a loved one, like in the story 
that Vicki read in our children's sermon. Willing to trust Jesus enough that we can admit that we are addicted and we need help. Being willing to trust Jesus enough to admit that we're overwhelmed as a parent and we have no idea um, how to protect our children, but that we just have to trust God so we can have peace. Uh, Trusting Jesus enough to admit that we have doubts about our faith sometimes, but that we worship a God who's big enough to accept our questions. Being vulnerable in that way is actually how we find life. And in the cross, as Jesus becomes vulnerable to death itself, it's how he brings his people life. So ultimately, this isn't about glory, isn't about uh, our power to orchestrate or engineer our lives just the way we want them, but to surrender our lives to God, to serve him, to give our lives to him and trust that he'll honor that gift. In the Bible study on Wednesday, uh, Janice had this great passage about Mother Teresa as an insert in her Bible that I think demonstrates this so well. Mother Teresa you know, goes to the slums of Calcutta among some of those vulnerable people on the earth and, and, her, and, and vulnerable herself to disease, to being a victim of crime, um, to confusion, to all sorts of things. And she writes in her diary about what she found there the first day. She says what she found there Vulnerable herself and among the vulnerable was Christ face to face. The hungry Christ, the naked Christ, the sick Christ, the homeless Christ. And she said that the touch of him in this distressing disguise gave her great joy, peace, and strength. It's an encountering Christ among people who are vulnerable and wounded and among our own woundedness that we can actually find life with him says Mother Teresa. And why can we do that? Why can we do that? For one reason, that Jesus has won the glory for us. He's shown us what it means to surrender to God that we might find glory. Verse 27, now my soul is troubled and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this very reason that I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a spirit came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. The ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. Can there be a more glorious pronouncement? The voice of God itself coming To say to Jesus, I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again. And when God said, when the Father says that to the Son, it's a sign that the glory of God has come again to be with his people. If you go back to the Old Testament, when uh, the people of Israel build the tabernacle to hold the ark where they have the law, they at God's instruction, deck it out with all kinds of gold decorations and gilted stuff, all of this elaborate, expensive, rich decoration. But none of that matters until the glory of God itself comes in to that place and transforms it. And when Jesus, when God, the Father says to Jesus, I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again, it's a sign that God's glory is coming to be with his people. That God's completeness, God's fullness is there with Jesus. There's a Christian rapper named Lecrae 
who gives a great talk that I listened to the other the other day about this very idea, this idea of glory, and and what he says is that glory um, glory is the public manifestation of God's holiness. Glory is the public manifestation of God's holiness, and what we see in Jesus as the one who brings God's glory, the one who brings God's glory when he becomes flesh and lives among us, bringing God's glory by becoming nothing, by becoming vulnerable. The one who is so vulnerable that he brings God's glory when he goes to the cross. And then the one who brings God's glory when he's lifted up, not only on the cross, but in the resurrection, when he lives again and then ascends to the Father. He's lifted up out of nothingness, out of death, and destruction, because that's how God's glory comes. God's glory comes when we surrender, when we give up, when we give it to him, so that we can join in what the angels and the saints sing in heaven, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of your glory. That's true, that's true, if we're willing to let God be God and us not. Lecrae, who I mentioned a moment ago, tells this story um, in, in his talk about uh, going to a uh, buy, to buy a t-shirt in Los Angeles. He's like lost his luggage or something, so he has to get a t-shirt. He goes into this shop and he's looking through. He's looking through the, the t-shirts and he finds one and he looks at the price tag and he says, that can't be right. It says $600. for It's a t-shirt, right? It's a, can't buy a $600 t-shirt. That must be wrong. He looks at one of the other ones and it's the same price, $600, $600. That can't be right. No shirt is this glorious. No shirt is this expensive. So he goes to the cashier and says, hey, can you help me out? I was looking at the price tag on this shirt. It says it's $600. I, I know that can't be right. And the cashier says, no, that's that's right. That's the price for the shirt. And he says, well, is it, is it made of gold? Is it, you know, what... Does, will it make why is it, could a shirt be six hundred dollars? And he says, "Well, it's you know, um, uh, it's actually on sale. Uh, but uh, the reason it's six hundred dollars is because of the designer, because of whose name's on it." And what he says is that uh, our glory, our glory is sort of like that. We have glory not because of what we've earned in our own right. We can have God's glory because his name is written on us. And when we, when we trust in the God who himself was beaten and killed, who himself became nothing, and when we're willing to enter into that kind of a trust, that kind of life of giving ourselves over to him, can we actually find new life because his name has been written on us. That's what makes it possible for us to see like the Greeks wanted to see, to see the light. That's what makes it possible for us to become vulnerable and willing to trust God in that way because of the gift of God himself to us. And that's what makes it possible for us to be a part of who Jesus is and what he's doing in bringing to the world eternal life. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would help us uh, to see you and by seeing you to be transformed in the way we live. We pray that you would help us to be vulnerable, to be willing to become nothing so that we might be found in you and receive more life than we could possibly imagine. And Lord, we, help, we pray that we would uh, see your glory, see your holiness in public, and see your uh, great gift to us um, 
transforming our lives at every moment. Lord, all this we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.